Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Jonathan Edwards, the brilliant American theologian and student of human behavior, once said, Every decision you make is determined by the strongest desire reigning in your heart at the time of the decision. In other words, your heart shapes every decision you make. But those heart desires are themselves shaped by the lens through which we see life. This episode examines first how to build the habit of heart alignment or realignment, and second, how to build the habit of putting in our spiritual contact lenses so that our hearts see life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 34 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. When R.C. Sproul first taught me Edward's observation that we always choose what we most want at any point in time, I balked because I thought, well, sometimes I do what I don't want to do. Exercising, eating vegetables, catching up on paperwork. But Sproul went on to say, suppose a robber puts a gun to your head and says your money or your life. I thought, yeah, that's a great example of having to do what you don't want to do. But Sproul pointed out that in that situation, you still do what you most want to do. The robber has just limited your choices. Either give him your money or have your brains on the sidewalk. Given those two options, you want to give the thief your money more than you want your brains on the sidewalk. So you do what you most want to do at that moment. Give him the money and stay alive. I labor Edward's point to emphasize that our heart desires and longings steer our entire lives. God reveals this truth in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else... Guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. For this reason, our mission as Christ followers always begins with keeping our hearts properly aligned. We state it this way, we're called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. The vital importance of keeping the affections of our heart set upon God first is underscored by our Lord, who told us this is the first and greatest of all commandments. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. So let's look at the case for building the habit, habit number one, which is realigning our heart to keep its focus set on the Lord, our first love. Number one, that's important to do because our hearts so easily become misaligned. That is why the first two of the Ten Commandments are, have no other gods before me and don't make idols. God's creation is so good, and his design of us is to enjoy our work, our task of procreating, the loved ones and friendships around us, to find pleasure in discovering and developing the playground he has given us, whether that means savoring art or music or sports or competition, riding waves at the beach or kayaking in the Adirondacks. Because he loves us so much, God made his world deliciously pleasurable for us. 
So we can forget that knowing, loving, and being loved by the giver of all these gifts is the greatest of all pleasures. C.S. Lewis' words come to mind. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So, We need to regularly tune up our hearts because they easily get misaligned, uh, celebrating the gifts or dominated by the desire for them rather than knowing the pleasure of an intense love relationship with God through Christ. Second, we need to realign our hearts because the root of sin is getting our heart loves out of order. Spiritual maturity is more a matter of God changing what our hearts love and in what order than it is changing what our hands do. For the great Christian thinker Augustine, what we call human virtues, he would call forms of love. Courage, for example, is loving your neighbor's well-being more than your own safety. Honesty is loving your neighbor's interests more than your own, even when the truth will put you at a disadvantage. He also argued that God designed a correct order for the heart's loves. But sin has corrupted the intensity, the priority of our loves, causing us to love less important things more and more important things less. One author summarizes Augustine's thoughts. The unhappiness and disorder of our lives are caused by the disorder of our loves. A just and good person, Augustine argues, is also a person who has rightly ordered his love so that he does not love what is wrong to love or fail to love what should be loved or love too much what should be loved less or love too little what should be loved more. A little confusing. How does this work? Well, there's nothing wrong with loving our work. But if you love your work more than your family, then your loves are out of order and you may ruin your family. Or if you love making money more than you love justice, then you will exploit your employees, again, because your loves are disordered. How does this apply to the habit of aligning and realigning our hearts? Augustine would answer the reason that even the best possible worldly goods will not satisfy is because we were created for a degree of delight and fulfillment that they cannot produce. As Augustine famously said to God at the beginning of his confessions, you, God, stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. We harm ourselves when we allow ourselves to love anything more than God himself. That's why we need heart realignment regularly. The third reason for that need of regular realignment is because if we are not filling our hearts with God's love, we will tend to become people pleasers, subtly craving others' acceptance which, by the way, gives enormous power to the people around us. Scotty Smith observes the power of peer pressure amplified by the social media today. He says people's acceptance really becomes the oxygen that we need to live. 
becomes the electricity that we need to power our circuits, becomes the cocaine that medicates our pain, becomes the prophet whose every word is truth, becomes the priest who has the power to make us feel acceptable, becomes the king who controls us at will. Wanting the love of the crowd easily replaces our longing for God's love, which brings pain to the heart of the God we love. Tim Keller points out, idols ultimately are cruel to the heart of the one who offers us so much and at such infinite cost. Realize that when you pine after idols, you're saying, Lord, you're not enough. This is more beautiful, more fulfilling and sweet to my taste than you are. So we need to regularly abide in Jesus' love as he commanded us so we don't become people pleasers. Fourth, we need to realign our hearts because dwelling in God's presence is designed by him to be a profound source of joy for us. The psalmist knew this reality firsthand. He wrote, In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God doesn't want the burdens and responsibilities of life to drown our joy. God doesn't want us to be so busy, so responsible, so committed to doing things for him that we don't take the time to enjoy him and being in his presence. That is why on this podcast, we define our mission first as being called to God to enjoy a love relationship with him. The fallen world around us and our own sin can tear us down emotionally, but God wants us to regularly fix our eyes on him and feast on who he is and how much he loves us. That brings joy. Could you use a little more joy in your life? I know I could. The fifth reason for regularly realigning the affections of our heart, setting them on God alone, is because as image bearers of God, the deepest thirst and most acute hunger of our souls is for us to be enjoyed also by God. Scotty Smith points out the 17th century Westminster Shorter Catechism states the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But John Piper has appropriately restated this old confession. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And then saying, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We enjoy God to the degree that we know his delight in us. And scripture is clear that we are his delight. For example, just one text, Psalm 149 says, Let Israel be glad in his maker, our joy. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. When God looks upon you and me, he experiences pleasure. Think of that. So we've seen five reasons for building the habit of regularly realigning our hearts to focus our affections on the Lord as our first love. Paul wants the Philippian Christians to keep their hearts aligned when he commands, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is really the same principle. It's the command to deliberately, intentionally choose to enjoy God. Take pleasure in the Lord. Satisfy your heart in the Lord. Take delight in, enjoy 
the Lord, commands Paul. That's what this word means. How do we build a habit to do this? Well, a biblical parallel between a husband-wife relationship and our love relationship with Christ, our bridegroom, may give a powerful answer. After all, a good way to describe the purpose of romance and sex in marriage is heart realignment. Sandy and I began our family with four kids born to us in three and a half years. I saw quickly that keeping our love relationship vital was going to require three habits. First, carving out regular daily couch time away from the kids to talk. Now, we didn't always succeed at that, but we tried. Second, having a weekly scheduled date night for romance and sex. Third, getting away for a romantic weekend together once a year. The parallel is probably obvious. Some daily time to talk to Jesus and hear him talk to us through the word is vital. And occasionally, getting away to retreat just with the Lord is quite valuable. But let's focus on and consider this third pattern of a weekly date night. Without being inappropriate, let's make five parallels between a weekly date night in marriage and a weekly time alone with Jesus to renew our love relationship with him, perhaps on the day set apart, the Lord's Day. First part of this for an alignment with Christ is extended time together just the two of you once per week. No relationship can grow or even be sustained, for that matter, without time alone, just with one another. In the rhythm that God created for our relationship with him, one day in seven was appointed for God's people to draw near to God in worship and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Following this pattern, I wanted at least once a week to gaze upon, without distraction, the beauty of Sandy. Just as God created sex to nourish marriage by couples setting apart regular time alone to gaze upon each other's nakedness and celebrate their love, our love relationship with God in Christ must be nourished by regular quality time face-to-face in order to celebrate our love relationship. Besides corporate worship, I suggest stealing one hour a week, maybe Sunday morning or afternoon or evening. Second, a date night begins with conversation. Heart realignment with Jesus also begins with some quality time to pour out to the Lord what is really on your mind. Sometimes date night would force Sandy and me to verbalize the conflict going on between us that we were ignoring. Similarly, the heart realignment habit towards our Lord begins with honesty. The Psalms are a lasting picture of David's honesty before God what I'm angry about, what I'm hurt over, what I'm afraid of, what I'm frustrated with, the sins that I have committed. Third, the goal of a date night is taking a step toward the goal of marriage, which is knowing each other more deeply while continuing to love one another. This parallel for me in my walk with Christ is reading a book like Knowing God or The Holiness of God by Sproul or Objects of His Affection, some way to get to know who God really is better. Also, it means praying, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It really is about intimacy and honesty in knowing each other. Fourth, in God's book on lovemaking, the Song of Songs, each lover extensively praises the other's beauty. 
And so I believe that heart realignment with our Lord requires us to focus on the perfections of our God, his beauty, and lavish him with praise, which we hear David doing. Often, I myself repeat one of the Psalms to God, just because it makes me see his glory and beauty. And then finally, fifthly, although I would never claim to know the results of lovemaking for wives, I will say that for men, the process ends with a feeling of great gratefulness and appreciation and love for her. And so I see another parallel there, the result of heart alignment, that habit, is expressing our thankfulness to our God for who he is and the countless ways he has blessed us, especially turning my spiritually dead, rebellious heart toward him. So the process of heart realignment, just some practical thoughts. Well, how about habit number two, sharpening my spiritual vision by being in God's word. Here are a few reasons for hearing, reading, and meditating upon the word of God. It's, of course, a review, but it's worth hearing. First, because God's word is life. There's just no more powerful way to say that. Consider Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. What's the result? He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf also will not wither, and all that he does prospers. Or consider Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And just one more text. These are words of God to us. Proverbs 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who take hold of her are blessed. So the first reason for devoting ourselves to knowing God's word is that it is life. Secondly, we need to know the word of God because our fallen mind is like a laptop with a deadly virus. There are two reasons why we often default to incorrect thinking. First, sin has darkened our understanding. We see that in Ephesians 4.18. The second is that Satan, the father of lies, has access to our thinking. So here are just a few ways that we think logically, but it is to the wrong conclusion because of our presuppositions usually. 
We think ultimate happiness and fulfillment come from the right circumstances. Jesus taught that happiness, makarios, comes from the right attitudes. See the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 through 12. We think the way to get rich is to stockpile money and add to our wealth. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will they pour it into your lap. The way to be wealthy is be generous. We think sexual pleasure satisfies even if it's illicit. Jesus said, it is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who will find satisfaction. We think happiness comes from being liked. Jesus said, how miserable for you when everybody says nice things about you. That's Luke 6, 26. We doubt God's love when everything goes wrong. God says the one whom the Lord loves, he takes through character training. And if God didn't build our character, we might well doubt that he's really adopted us and really loves us. Hebrews 12. We subtly think our accomplishments will bring us honor. God says a person's pride will bring them low, but a humble spirit not talking about ourselves at all, will obtain honor. When we're facing financial pressure, we think we need to hold on to our money. God says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We try to save money by sometimes cutting little ethical corners. God says, ill-gotten gains do not profit. When we can't get our minds around how to solve a problem, we lie awake at night worrying. God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So we default to thinking about life incorrectly. That's why we need the word of God to correct our vision. God says there's a way that seems right to man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Well, the third reason for regularly being in God's word is that obeying God is the way that he has told us to love him. Consider Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6, the familiar Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. One follows the other. Jesus also said, of course, if you love me, keep my commandments. If our greatest desire is to love our commander-in-chief back because of the great way he has loved us and because he deserves the best we can offer, we must devote ourselves to knowing what his word says. The fourth reason for regularly being in God's word is that it is the best form of security we have against catastrophe for ourselves and our families, and we sense that responsibility as men. Jesus closed his most famous sermon with these familiar words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Well, as you and I begin our fall routine, God will be giving you and me the gift of 168 hours every week. How many do you plan to devote to these foundational habits? Keeping your passion for Christ burning with intensity and building your life around obedience to the Word of God. To summarize this episode, Mission Focus Men realize that their mission begins with the call to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with Him. It's profoundly important to get this right because keeping our affections set upon Christ, making Him our first love, and satisfying our souls in Him is God's design for keeping our hearts aligned. And what our hearts want will determine the course of our lives. The command to rejoice in the Lord is the command to intentionally enjoy Him. The pattern of working six days but taking the next to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in worship may not only be a great pattern for couples to follow to make sure that romance and lovemaking to realign their hearts towards one another takes place, it may also be a great pattern to regularly realign our love relationship with Christ. We saw that this heart realignment through romance and lovemaking provides a useful five-part pattern for keeping the idols of the world from stealing away our affections from our God, our first love those five parts to the pattern. Number one, weekly time set apart for just the two of us, perhaps on the day that God designed for this. Number two, talking with our Lord about what's been really going on inside our hearts. Number three, using a small chunk of the time to get to better know who God really is through scripture or a book on his nature. Number four, delighting in the Lord, feasting on him, praising the glory of his character. Number five, remembering as we bask in his unconditional love for us, how blessed we really are to belong to him. We then saw that the second habit to shape a godly life flows from the first one. If we're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we will devote time to regularly sharpening and correcting our spiritual vision through learning and obeying God's word. For further prayerful thought, number one, why should Christians watch over their heart with all diligence? See your show notes for additional questions. Next week, as we contemplate our fall schedule, we continue our series on habits that shape our lives with a third habit that may surprise you. Yet I have found that this is one of the greatest keys to setting my heart on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org, where there is also a written copy of this podcast. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out. <music>